when I was a freshman in high school, I was accidentally put into a senior debate class. Now, I tried to get out of it, but they couldn't arrange the schedule so that I had, so in other words, I was forced to be there the entire year. And I don't know if you know about the debate team people, but they're, they're different than me, and they're different than freshmen. And they, they use big words, and they talk real fast, and I didn't know what to do with there. The most they would let me do is, is carry their note cards to these state tournaments and stuff, and, and only the cards that didn't have any notes on them, so I was just carrying blank sheets of paper around. That was all I could be trusted with. And if, and, if, and if that weren't bad enough, okay, to be in this class where I was way over my head, it, because of the scheduling, it forced me to go to senior lunch as a freshman. Now, this is true. There were 3,627 people in my high school. I was the single smallest male in all of them. That's, that's a true story. I was the smallest person there. And so, you know, for me, you know, to live like in this cell block with all of these people, they were all big people. And for me to go to lunch every day, I felt like I was like a little puppy being thrown into a, like a, I don't know, a cage full of hungry lions. It was, it was a frightful thing. And you could see that I was scared. It was obvious to everyone because I was crying all the time. <laughs> and, but in that senior debate class, there was a girl, and her name was Cindy Cunningham. And she was a senior, and she was a, one of the dance team officers, and she was attractive, and she was different. And on the second day of class, she said, hey, why don't you come over here and sit with me? And so I did. <laughs> and she, she said, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a nickname. I'm going to call you kid, because you're just like a little kid. Can I call you kid? And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> and in the, fir the first month of the first month of school, there were a few times, I'm not sure how there were seven times, she asked me to come join her at her table at lunch with nothing but senior girls that apparently were like beauty pageant contestants. And I was a happy puppy at that table. Cindy Cunningham, before I graduated, or before she graduated her senior year, she wanted to make sure that I'd be in a good place. And so she insisted, her special little club, this, she was in a social club, and she put her hand around me during interview day, and she said, this is kid, and I want him to be part of this group. Cindy walked me through my freshman year. Cindy Cunningham changed my life. And here's how she did it. That first week of school, when everybody else is looking around trying to connect with old friends that haven't seen all summer, Cindy Cunningham was doing that, and she was also looking around for scared freshmen, and she found one, and she changed him. Did you know right now there are freshmen all around you, and they're looking for someone to guide them through the next season of life? God has placed them before the beginning of time to be in your life, and they're hoping and they're looking for some guide to help them live the Christian life right now on your street, in your office, on the row of this church that you're attending. Don't look for the senior. Look for the freshman and change a life. Here at Grace, what do we say? All the time. 
I'm just the pastor, but you're the, yeah, you're the minister. You're the guide. You're the, you're, you're the one to make disciples. You're the one that is supposed to become like Christ in all of life. And while you do that, you bring someone with you. Why? Because you were designed by God to do that. You, you, were, you were predestined to enjoy the good works in Jesus Christ that he arranged ahead of time. You were ordered by Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, make disciples. Be a guide. And, and so those are some reasons why. So why not? Why don't people do this? Why aren't we all not involved in searching out freshmen and, and, and guiding them? Here's why. I think a lot of people have problems. They say, do you know me? <laughs> I mean, I, I, the only thing I'm effective at is making mistakes. I'm not good for very much. I'm not qualified and I'm inadequate. Some of you might kind of relate to this poster. You probably believe, you know, mistakes. It could be that your purpose in life is only to serve as a warning to others. <laughs> that's all I'm good for. And you want me to guide? Now, if that's true, if you can relate to that, let me tell you, today, you should see the passage we're going to look at because Paul would say to you, yeah, I understand what it's like to feel that way. He's going to say, he, Paul is an apostle, and he's going to write two men that he guided, Timothy and Titus. And these are his two most intimate letters. He calls them son. He loves these men, and he wants them to know that they can be guides too. And, and he, he wants them in the, context, in the context of this feeling of being sinful and vile, inadequate. Paul, the apostle, when the, in the last books that he writes, he says this. He says, I am the worst of all sinners. I am the most vile of all people. And if you feel that too, you could actually be on the right path. But you might be stuck on that right path. The path, if you can envision this for just uh, our time together, it's just like the path is not like a sidewalk. It's like cobblestones, and you got to jump, and there's three of them. The problem with a lot of people, the reason they're not involved in guiding and discipling and, and caring for other people is they're stuck on this first one. And in the context of this letter that Paul's writing, he's writing his friends at the end of his career, when he's most like Christ in all of life, he says, I am the greatest of all sinners. And here's why he comes to that conclusion. Because if you become like Christ in all of life, the closer you become to his image, the greater you're going to feel the weight of your sinfulness. The greater you'll feel the depth of your rebellion against God. It, it happens. Saints have the tenderest conscience. And so Paul is saying, yeah, that's, you're on the right, maybe you're on the right path, but you, you, there's three steps to this path. The first one is I'm the worst. The second step is I'm the best. And the third step is praise God. Praise God. You got to do all three. The first one is I'm the worst. Look at this passage. He says this in 1 Timothy 1.15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Everybody knows this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. First, let's look at the verb tense. I am, not I was, I am. I am the foremost sinner. Other translations say what does it say? I am the worst of all sinners. One says, I am first among sinners. Someone says, I am chief among sinners. And here's why. Because as you become more like Christ in all of life, 
you're going to feel the weight of sin, the distance between where you are and where you need to go. I mean, we, we talked in the previous weeks that to become a disciple, to become like Christ in all of life, you need three things. You're going to need truth and relationship and spirit. And two out of three of those things are bringing this. The Spirit of God is bringing this truth that you are the worst of all sinners, that you're going to feel the weight as you become more like Christ, that you're going to feel like the worst of all sinners. Let me give you some examples of that. It's a common experience among those that are becoming like Christ. Paul Bunyan, right, the man who wrote Pilgrim's Progress. Besides the Bible, it's the best-selling uh, spiritual Christian book ever written. Okay? When John Bunyan wrote his autobiography, he titled it this, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. John Bunyan says, look, I know, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of sinners. I'm first. I'm the chief of all sinners. And the reason John Bunyan came to this conclusion is simple. Because as he was becoming more like Christ in all of life, God's Spirit was revealing to him this truth that there was a, the gap was farther than he originally thought. And the weight of sin was heavier than he imagined. What happens as you become more like Christ, it's not so much what you do, it's who you are that you start realizing is the problem. The depth of this thing is not conduct, it's heart attitude. Let me give you another example of how this happens. Saint, Saint Augustine, your lawn is named after this man, Saint Augustine. If you weren't in the South, you'd call him Saint Augustine. A fourth century theologian, kind of poured the foundation for a lot of our theology. He wrote an autobiography. Guess what he called it? He called it Confessions. <laughs> And in this autobiography, which is uh, believed to be one of the best autobiography written, he says this about growing up. He's, now he's at the end of, towards the end of, uh, he's a mature believer now, right, becoming like Christ in all of life. He reflects back on one of his earliest little guilt glitches and pangs when he and a couple of his buddies jumped a fence and went into someone, else, someone else's apple orchard, climbed some trees, stole the apples. And now... Uh, in retrospect, he didn't think it was that big a deal back in the day, but now he's thinking back as he's become more like Christ, and he realized it wasn't what he did that showed his evil. It was why he did it. And here's what he says. He says, when I, when I willed to commit the theft of the apples, I did so not because I was driven by any kind of a need. I stole the things which I had plenty of my own and much better quality. Oh, I've got apples at home. They're better, and there are more of them. So why did he steal them? He says this. No, I did it because it was forbidden. I did it because I loved the sin itself. He realized that he was, Augustine, realized he was the worst of all sinners, not because of what he did, but because of who he was. He realized that he couldn't care less about those apples until his mother said, don't go in that orchard. And then his soul cried out in its vileness, no one tells me what I can and cannot do. I want what I want when I want it. I want to be God. I want to be sovereign of my life. Let's go get some apples. You know what he did with the apples? He gave them to some pigs on the way home. It wasn't about the apples. It was about him saying, you know, I'll do what I want. It's not the actions. When you become more like Christ in all of life, you're going to be exposed because the Spirit of God is going to bring this truth to you, that it's not what you do, it's who you are. It's 
not the actions, it's the soulish condition. And that's why I think one of the reasons Chesterton, that's one of the reasons Chesterton said Christianity hadn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and then therefore not tried. This is the dark part of the gospel, that you're worse than you ever imagined. If you understand it, if you're listening to God's Spirit, He's going to be communicating this to you. You're the worst of all sinners. So if you find yourself at the point where you're feeling the weight of that, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you're actually on the right path. You're on the first stone. You know, you're joining. It's a pretty crowded stone. It, you know, John Bunyan's there and St. Augustine's there. St. Paul is there. The Apostle Paul is there. So what's interesting about this journey here is it doesn't end there. It begins there. The next cobblestone is not that I'm the worst, but I'm the best. Look what he, uh, what he does. I'll review in 15, and we'll jump to 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the best, the foremost, the, the chief. But I, receive, but I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost of all sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example or a pattern for those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul's saying, look, uh, I'm the worst of all sinners so that I can be the best of all examples. And the word there is example or pattern or prototype. Paul's saying, I can be the prototype for everyone to, to say, for, for people to look at my life. I'm the worst. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say pattern. He doesn't say prototype. He adds a prefix to that. Prefix, the word is hypo, or actually we would call it hyper. And so when the prefix hyper is added to something, it changes, right? People have said this about me, that I'm a very active person. Other people have said to me that I'm a hyperactive person. A doctor has said that. Several teachers have said that. Two principals have said that, and one policeman. All of them have said, you're not active, Matt. You're hyperactive. That's a different word altogether when you add hyper to that. And so Paul is saying, oh, no, 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 I don't, you're not, I'm not just an example. I'm a hyper example. I'm a hyper example. I'm the super prototype. God saved me the worst to show the world that if I can do it, if I can be in, then anyone can. He's, the, he's taking, Paul's saying, look, God took the ultimate sinner to become the ultimate saint. He took the greatest enemy to become the most faithful soldier. Paul's saying, look, if you look at my life and have doubts about whether or not you could be a guide, you should understand between my worst and my best because of what Christ has done in my life, everyone else can fit in there somewhere. That's what he's saying. I'm a hyper. I'm a great. I'm the best example out there. That's what he's saying. That's the gospel truth right there is that you are a lot worse off. This is Luther, Martin Luther. You are a lot worse off than you could ever imagine until you pursue Christ more. He's going to expose this to you, but you're a lot better off than you could have ever hoped for. That's what he's saying here. Now, how does this happen? How does a person come to the place of realization, that's the Spirit of God and this truth, that I am the worst of all sinners. I am the chief amongst those vile. And then I find myself on the next you know, step saying, I'm the best of all examples. What happened? Verse 14 happened. The grace, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace transforms. There it is again. 
Grace transforms. It's only mercy that can change a soul, the essence of a soul. And so what, what Paul is saying here is like, this grace was poured on me. Oh, wait, uh, no, he does not say that grace was poured on him. It says hyper-poured. That's why it says abundantly. They have to figure out how to make sense out of that. He puts the prefix hyper on there again, drawing our attention to this idea that he hyper-poured, over-poured grace and also in that faith and also in that love. That's how you become a hyper example. You get hyper poured upon. Other translations say more than abundant. I love this one. This was a scholar, okay? This guy is a smart person, and he said the word means superabundance. That's making up words, okay? You get a certain degree of intelligence. I'm going to make up superabundance. That's all I could say with superabundance. That's what happened to Paul. And so if you find yourself on this first cobblestone, wringing your hands and wondering if, there, if there's anything, is there anything I'm excellent at outside of sinning itself? Is there anything I can do besides break stuff? Then you, you have to jump to this next cobblestone. And how do you do that? It's this vision, see it. It's this vision of overpouring, excessively abundantly pouring. I've got some props over here. I don't do props. I'm doing props today because I want you to see how do you live with the guilt glitches in your life when you're driving down and not thinking that you were the greatest sinner, but you are the greatest sinner. Let's, let's picture this, shall we? This is your soul. Look at all the sin it can contain. Eat cake for breakfast. That represents you, right? That can hold a lot. I'm going to not put this up here. I'm going to use this because it exaggerates the point. This is all you can contain. This is all you can hold. And what does the passage say? That here we are in our vile chief of all sinners and, and the God spirit says, I'm going to put a little grace. I'm going to put a little grace on there. No, no, I'm, I don't want it to spill. Is that what the passage says? It doesn't, does it? It says super abundant overflow. And so it's like this. Yeah. Can you see it without, I don't want to spill water up here, so I did. And it doesn't say just grace, does it? And then it says, it says faith, still overflowing. Do I need to be covered in water for you to picture this in your mind? Please, I don't want to do that, okay? And then it says, oh, is that all you have? No, I've got some love, love too. Super abundant, overflow. You might be the worst sinner ever, there's three pictures of superabundance overflow that gets you to this next place where you are a hyper example. How does Paul live with his guilt glitches? How does Paul live with the things, not that he's just done in his memory, but this, this fullness of understanding of who he is? Because as you pursue, become more like Christ in all of life, right, it gets deeper and darker. It's the nature of sainthood. How does he live with that? He reads the Bible, friends, and he believes it. He wrote the words, and now he's rereading them. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? We are now at peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He's envisioning this overflow of grace and love and faith. That's how it happens. So if you believe and you find yourself feeling as though you are a wicked person, a horrible person, this idea that you are the worst of all sinners, and you hold your head down 
and you're sheepish about your faith, and you say to yourself, what can I do or bring to this cause or this conversation? Then you don't know the gospel. That's not the gospel. You might be on the right path, but you're on the wrong, you're on the wrong rock. You've got to move to the next one to understand. You've got to understand that, yes, you're the worst of all sinners, but you received hyper-grace and hyper-love and hyper-faith so that you could be a hyper-example to all those around. That's the power of the gospel. It's not dwelling on you. It's dwelling on what Christ has done for you. That's how you qualify to be a guide. Three steps, not two. We're not done yet. Paul says, you got to understand you're the worst, and then you'll figure out you're the best, and then praise God. After verse 16, do you know what comes next? Anyone want to guess? Yeah, 17. Verse 17. Now, before we read verse 17, I'm just going to cue it up a little bit here because it's very strange. It comes out of the cold blue. You don't know what's going on here. Is he going to help with his argument at all? No, he's not. Is he going to add storyline to the narrative? Nope. Is he going to help us better understand what he's communicated in step one and step two or whatever? Right? Rock one, rock two? Nope. Absolutely not. He's just, <laughs> what's happening here is he's having this explosive outburst of praising God because he realized he is the worst, is the worst of all sinners, and he's been made the best of all examples, and so he can't shut up about praising God. Look at verse 17. I'll read 16 first so I can, you know, right, set it up. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost of all sinners, Jesus Christ might be displayed as his perfect patience as an example, as a super example for those who believe in him and have eternal life. Verse 17, boom, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. (laughs) It's three steps because you can't stop from doing the third step. You can't, you can't, you, you can sit and wallow all you want on this, you know, first cobblestone, but when you get to this second one, you're going to jump to the third and praise God. Our marriage mentors here at our church, they're all lay people. They're all ministers. They're not pastors. And, and many of them, they, they are the worst. They have this three-step process. They had the worst marriage you've ever heard of. I'm telling you, it's so bad. And they'll tell you that story. And then... They submitted to the will of God. They responded to his spirit, bringing truth, and they received hyper grace and then hyper faith and then hyper love so that they could become a hyper example of what God can do in a life. And so when people sit down, whether it's in re-engage or premarital counseling or whatever it might be, they go, we had the worst of all marriages. We are the best of examples, and every marriage fits in between there. Praise Jesus. They just keep going on about the glory of God. They find themselves saying, oh, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. They say that. God is ready to use any one of us. It's not about your sinfulness. It's what he's done in your life. We've been going to camp for over 30 years here at Grace Covenant Church, taking the youth to camp. We're going to do it again this year. 
We spend more money on that ministry event than any other. We spend more time, thousands of hours, getting ready for that one week of camp. It's worth it. That's why we do it year after year. At camp, for the last 30 years, there's this one time where the youth pastor will sit down with the age, age students separately, not as the big group. And it's sometimes the most impactful hour of the entire week. And I think it's because the message can be sharper, right? It's, it's targeted to a specific person or age group at a specific time in life. And here's what the junior and seniors have heard for almost 30 years. Hey, do you remember when you were a freshman and you came to school and you were kind of scared and you saw, you know, a junior or a senior walk down the hall and you went, oh, look at them. They're big and they're confident and they're awesome and they have a driver's license and they get to eat, you know, lunch off campus. Oh, juniors and seniors, look at them. Just look at them. The hallways part. Here they come. You remember that feeling? Yeah. Here's what we tell the juniors and seniors. You're that junior and senior now. I know. You haven't had a single class of being a senior. I'm telling you now in July that when the, do when, the, when the class starts in August, you need to walk on that campus like you're a senior because the freshmen and sophomores look at you that way. You have power. You have you have this status, and so many of you guys are going to waste it if you wait to feel that, and you won't, do, you won't feel it until December, and you'll miss these critical months. You are the junior and senior. Know this truth, and use that truth to be a guide. Guide, lead, serve the underclassmen. Be a super hyper example of what God can do in a person's life if they turn it over to them. You were designed to do this. You were predestined for to, to do good works in Jesus Christ as a junior and senior. The message to the juniors and seniors every summer for that one hour is this. Open your eyes. There are freshmen everywhere. Hey, Grace, you're the seniors. Open your eyes. There are people longing for someone your age, your life experience, your world, to come into their world and guide them. And you know what it's like to feel as though, to know as though you are the worst of all sinners. Come on, upperclassmen, don't leave them there. Tell them about the next stepping stone. Tell them about the hyper overflow of grace and faith and love and watch them explode with praise towards God. All the ministries at Grace, our whole church is built around a model of mentoring. I want you to stop thinking about being mentored for a second. I want you to think about being the junior and senior. They are in this church. They are on your street. They're at your office. Open your eyes. They're freshmen everywhere. Be the guide. Lord, we, uh, we lift up this command that you gave us. All authority was given to you in heaven and on earth. And you said, you said, go make disciples. You also said that we are your workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. That you prepared way before the beginning of time that we could walk in them, show other people the way. Lord, I'd ask that you would open our eyes to the potential 
possibility, the potential of being an upperclassman in the life and the life of someone that you've given us to guide. Would you do that maybe now, this week, so that we might learn together how we could be better at, at the things that you desire us to be, that we might be this super hyper example people would see that and give glory to you. We pray this in great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.